is a blessing to be with you this morning. I, you know, it never ceases to amaze me the power of the gospel, how it's able to break down barriers and bring people together that would not be together otherwise. Right. That is such an incredible blessing. I, you know, I think back to Scripture. I, I remember, uh, you remember Stephen who was preaching a message, and as he preaches that message, those Jews that were listening to him, they didn't like what he was saying. And they turned against him, and eventually they stoned him. And if you remember, there was one who stood there as they stoned him and gave his approval. His name was Saul, and we know him as he became eventually Paul. Um, you remember uh, Stephen was put to death, and you remember what happened with Saul as he was on the road to Damascus, and he saw that bright shining light, and as God appeared to him, and, or Jesus appeared to him and spoke to him, and then Saul ended up giving his life and heart and Christ to Christ and, and then spent his life preaching the message of Jesus Christ. Remember Stephen, he was one of the seven. He had been chosen by the church to take care of the Grecian widows. He had been there to uh, care over them and bless them. There were seven of them that were involved in that work. And so here's Saul who becomes Paul and he's out spreading the message of Jesus everywhere. And as he's spreading the message of Jesus, he comes to a city by the name of Caesarea. When he comes to Caesarea, he needs a place to stay. You know who he stays with? He stays with a man by the name of Philip, who was one of the seven. Probably a really good friend with Stephen. Can you imagine staying in the house of someone who, you know, the, the person that's staying in your home is someone who put to death one of your close friends? That's what the gospel is able to do. It's able to bring people together and help them to be one. So somebody from LSU and somebody from Alabama, and somebody from Georgia, and somebody from all over, all over the world can come together and be one in Christ. Amen. Uh, I love that about when I go to India. You know, I go you know halfway around the world and I'm with people. You know, some that I meet for the first time, some I've known for many, many years. And again, to just feel that kindredship, to feel that bond, to be able to know that this is my brother, this is my sister in Christ, and that we're, we're about the same business. We're about the Lord's business. We're about helping more and more people uh, come to know the Lord. And just as you say you feel like you know me, I feel like I know y'all. You know, because my dad spoke very highly of each one of you, and I, he's appreciated so much being a part of this congregation and so I'm, I've been very appreciative of the work that you're involved in, the things that you're doing, the way that you're serving the Lord here, and, and the niche that God has given you in being able to spread the message of Jesus uh, to others. Uh, this morning, the reading that I had read was from 1 Samuel 17. I know it's a passage that you're probably very familiar with. As little children, we hear about David and Goliath. We hear the message of what, what David did and what God allowed David to do. And I want to read some from 1 Samuel chapter 17. I am reading from the New International Version, so I'm, I'm going to start back with verse 8 of 1 Samuel chapter 17. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and listen up for, or line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are not the servants, are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. 
On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Then you jump down to verse 16. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. So day after day, morning after morning, evening after evening, he's coming. Then down to verse 26. The latter part of verse 26 is David hears this Philistine. He had come from his father and was bringing food for his brothers and for the rest of the army to see how things were going. And he hears the Philistine and he says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then jumping down to verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And then to the passage that was read earlier this morning, beginning with verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head this very day. I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword, sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and He will give all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. As I mentioned, you know, we're all familiar with this story. We're inspired by this story. We look at what God did through this young boy, David what God accomplished in and through Him. And yet, plenty of us face a similar predicament every day. We're facing an insurmountable challenge, or what seems to be an insurmountable challenge of problems that rip into our lives. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it is a feeling of rejection. Have you ever felt like King Saul and the Israelite army? Some kind of giant stands before you and it's taunting you? It's harassing you? It's insulting you? It's trying to bring you down? Day after day, this giant stands and tries to rob you of the power that God wants you to experience. Ultimately, you know you're not living the kind of life you want to live and that God has for you. Likely, all of us have something lurking nearby that's stealing our joy, that's taking away what God genuinely wants us to experience. Amen. It doesn't have to be alcoholism or anorexia or depression. Giants come in all sizes and shapes. The good news is it's not God's plan for you and me to live with any sta anything standing in the middle of our lives demoralizing us day after day after day. God wants you and me to live free. He wants you and me to live the true life that God has called for us, that abundant life. He wants your giant, my giant, He wants them to fall. Matter of fact, they must fall. If we're in Christ, they must fall. That's a mandate. Jesus' desire for you and me is that we would live full life. 
Right. In John chapter 10 and verse 10, the Gospel says that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, but I've come that you might have life and have it to the full or have it more abundantly. Yeah. It's His desire that you and I live that abundant life. He doesn't want any giant standing over us, taunting us. Amen. He doesn't want any giant standing over us, keeping us from being free in Christ Jesus. Amen. If God has His way, we live free and He gets the glory for His being the giant killer in our life. Amen. You see, ultimately... Jesus has already taken down all the foes we face through the cross. Your giant has already been defeated because of what Christ did on the cross and we simply put it into motion. God is going to be seen as the champion of our lives. And that's why our Goliath must fall. And so if there is a voice that stands over you, that taunts you, that says, nope, my giant's going to taunt me forever just need to know this, it is not the voice of Jesus. It is the voice of the liar who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Because Jesus took hell for you and me on the cross so that our relationship with God could be restored. Jesus rose from the grave so He could shake off the prospect of a doomed life and walk in His power. And it doesn't matter how big that giant is, or how long that giant has taunted you, it must come down through the power of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what kind of addiction it is. It could be an addiction to alcohol, or drugs, or pornography, or gambling, or or shopping, or binge eating, or cigarettes. Or it can be a more subtle addiction, like the wrong kind of friends, or the wrong kind of thoughts, always being defensive, or always being critical of others. Jesus didn't come on this earth to this earth to die on a cross and be resurrected so that we could settle for a reduced amount of God's best. He intended for us to really live. He wants us to live that abundant life. I think about 1 Thessalonians 3 verse 8 where Paul says, For now we really live. Whatever giant it is that you're facing, know this, it's not bigger than Jesus. No giant is bigger than Jesus. A life-altering way of seeing Jesus in the story is what changes everything about the way your giant is coming down. I heard this statement many, many years ago. It says, don't tell God how big your problem is. Tell your problem how big your God is. Because our God is a big God. And it doesn't matter what the giant is. You see, Jesus can overcome any giant that stands in our way. A life-altering view of Jesus is what changes our perspective and allows us then to live in freedom. Think about Israel here. Think about what they're experiencing in 1 Samuel 17. God had done so much for them in their past. He had blessed them in so many ways. And yet here in 1 Samuel 17, the Israelites had forgotten. Hadn't they? They had forgotten about their great God. I mean, think back. Think back when they're in Egypt. Think about the deliverance that God brought about. The ten plagues. All that went on in Israel to where finally the, the, the Pharaoh just basically said, alright, you guys get out. Take whatever you want. God did that. They knew that. They came to the Red Sea. And then God parted the Red Sea. They walked across the Red Sea. They saw that. They witnessed that. They experienced that. They went through the wilderness. They had manna. Every morning they'd wake up and they'd walk out and they'd see this bread-like substance on the ground. You know, and the first time they walked out, they said, what is it? And that's what manna means. What is it? You know, so they picked it up. But every day they picked it up. You know, they had water to drink. 
from a stone or a rock and all the different things. A, a cloud to guide them by day, a pillar of fire to guide them by night. They had seen this. They had witnessed that. They came, to, they came and crossed the Jordan River. They then went into Jericho, marched around the walls of Jericho. They experienced all of that. I mean, they knew the power of God, right? They had experienced the power of God. They had seen what God could do. And yet here they are, and they're towering, in, or they're falling and flailing in fear at this giant who stands over them. How could that be? They weren't tapping in to how powerful their God was. See, they knew God's power, but in the same sense, they didn't know His power. They weren't experiencing it. And if some form of bondage is in our lives, we need to relook at Jesus because no giant can match Him. No giant can come up against Him. And this, the message here is that God extends His grace and favor toward us to allow us to experience His supernatural power. It's about us agreeing with Him and let His Holy Spirit work in our lives to put us on the right path. Now I want you to think about this story for a minute because sometimes you know we we tell the story first Samuel chapter seventeen we talk about David talk about Goliath we're inspired by David we look at what David did and say okay now you can be a David you can go up and you can fight against those giants that's a man centered interpretation of this story you know who the David is in our story it's Jesus. Jesus fights the battle for us. Jesus stares down the face of impossible odds. The giant falls because of the work of Christ. As long as our eyes are on the problem, then the solution lies within ourselves and nothing changes. But when we fix our eyes on Jesus, and another way of saying that is when we worship, you see, that's what worship is. Worship is simply a shift of attention that allows us to see God better. We shift our attention to where we can now see God better. And where we can see God better, we can see what God is able to do. Amen. That was the difference in what took place with the Israelites and what took place with David. You see, the Israelites, all they talked about was Goliath. The giant. This big giant. He's standing over us. I don't know what we're going to do with him. I don't know how we can overcome him. You read through all of 1 Samuel 17. All their focus is, is on the giant. But then when it comes to David, if you read the words of David, two times he mentions the giant. Nine times he mentions God. His focus was on God. And so because his focus was on God, he knew my God is bigger than this giant. And it doesn't matter how big your giant is, your God's bigger than that giant. If we're focusing on the giant, then we're going to fall. And we're going to give in. We're going to fail. We're going to be held in captivity. But if we're focusing on our giant, our hero, our God, then that giant falls because we see that giant as being something that is not too big for our God. You see, worship is like corrective lens for our soul. Worship puts God in focus. When the Almighty is in view, our giant's power over our thinking begins to flicker and fade. You see, I need someone bigger than my giant to set my gaze on. Otherwise, I needlessly, I listen needlessly to a dead Goliath when the Maker of heaven and earth is holding me in His hands. How many of us are listening to a dead Goliath 
when the maker of heaven and earth is holding us in His hands. He is the all-sufficient source for all we need. He is available for every step of the journey and in every hour of our battle. Now maybe you're wondering, well, if Jesus won the battle at the cross, why am I still struggling? Let me say it this way. Your giant is dead, and yet your giant is still deadly. Think about it this way. Let's say you go out and you find a, a rattlesnake. You kill that rattlesnake. But you know what? If you step on the fangs of that snake, you'll still get poisoned. Satan has been defeated at the cross. The battle is over. Jesus said it is finished. He won the battle for us. The victory is ours. Past tense. He's dead. But if we step on Satan's fangs, he can still poison us. The work of Jesus was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He will crush your head, talking about Jesus, the seed of man, and you will strike his heel. He's speaking to the serpent. Jesus is the snake crusher. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That's what He came to do. To destroy the devil's work. And then also in Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 14 and 15, listen to these words. Since the children have flesh and blood, He too shared in their humanity so that by His death He might break the power of Him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Well, who did it? Jesus. And how did He do it? By His death. By His death, He won that battle. Satan's power was broken at the cross. That's where we still feel the paradox though. Satan can still harm us. That's a big part of the tension of living as a follower of Jesus today. We live in the great expanse of time and space between two awesome points. The cross and the final work of Jesus at the end of time when everything's made right. You see, in this space time, in this time and space, Satan has been defeated, but he's still dangerous. And that's why Peter tells us, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around looking for someone whom he may devour. That's why there are some who love Jesus and yet are still accommodating some sort of deliberating debilitating giant. The good news is that as followers of Christ, we're not left defenseless. A way forward is made available to you and I in Scripture. James tells us this in James chapter 4. He said, submit yourself to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and He will come near to you. You see, there's a simple solution, isn't it? Submit yourself to God. So here I am, I'm battling this this addiction, I'm battling this sin, I'm battling this, this, this giant that's just over me and keeping me from doing what God would have me to do. What I need, I need to submit myself to God. Resist the devil. He'll flee from you. Draw near to God. And He will draw near to you. Just determine you're going to get closer to your God. 
The more we get close to God, the more we focus on our God, the more we see our God, the smaller that giant gets. The more we fill ourselves up with His goodness, the more we fill ourselves up with His love, the more we fill ourselves up with His power, the more we look into His Word, the more we let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, that giant gets smaller and smaller. And it's not because we're so strong, it's because our God is so strong. It's because our God is able to help us overcome any giant that stands in our way. We choose the pathway of Jesus. We deliberately decide to draw near to Him. Then we can resist. And as we're doing so, what do we do? We, Paul tells us, Ephesians chapter 6, you put on the full armor of God. Right? And our God, our armor is God made and it's available. All that's required is that I put it on. Again, I'm focusing on His power. See, not my power. You read Ephesians chapter six, verses ten through the end of the chapter. You know it says to us that we that that we we put on the full armor of God, and he talks to us about that we use the strength that God supplies, and that's the way that we're able to stand. That's the way we're able to stand against what Satan tries to bring against us. Amen. Jesus is all sufficient, meaning that He is enough, and when we follow Jesus. He hands us unlimited riches. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 says that His divine power has given us all that we need for life and godliness. We have become partakers of the divine nature. When we gave our lives to Christ Jesus, God put His Spirit in our hearts and in our souls. Paul speaks of the unsearchable riches of Christ in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 8. You see, Christ's grace is readily available to us. Yet it's entirely, yet in its entirety, it is so amazing and unfathomable. Our brother mentioned earlier today, Philippians 4 and verse 13, I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Through Christ who gives me strength. You see, not me that gives me strength, you know, but Christ who gives me strength. I draw near to Him. I worship. I focus on Him. I shift my attention. I shift. You know, just you remember Peter, what happened when he was walking on the water? Long as his focus was on Jesus, he was able to walk. He was able to stand. But the second he took his focus off Christ, he looked around at his giants, right? The storm, the winds, the waves. He saw all of that and he started to sink. Thank God for His grace though. Even though in that moment He sank, He cried out to Jesus and Jesus picked Him back up and lifted Him right back up. So that's all we got to do. We just got to reshift. You might get, you know, the storms around you might come and you might see them and they look big and they look forbidding and they look overwhelming. They look like something that you can't handle. But again, in that moment, cry out to Jesus. Just look to Him. Turn your eyes toward Him and He picks you up. You see, you focus on giants, you stumble. You focus on God, your giant tumbles. Amen. You focus on giants, you stumble. You focus on God, and your giant tumbles. Now there's something else in this story that I want to point out that I think is very, very significant in David being a victor over Goliath through the power of God. 
when David went up against that giant, his perspective was on God and His glory. You see, David wasn't so much thinking about him being a winner. He wasn't so much thinking about Israel being a winner. He was thinking about his God and his God being glorified. Back to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Verse 26 again. I read it earlier. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And then in verse 36 and verse 37. Your servant, he's speaking, talking to Saul, and he's talking about what God had done. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. And then down in verse 45 again. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world. Notice this. The whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not my sword or spear that the Lord saved. For the battle is the Lord's and He will give you into our hands. What He wanted all of the world to know, what He wanted the Philistines to know is that there is a God in Israel and that it wasn't by our strength. It wasn't that we were a mighty army. It wasn't that we were so strong that we were able to defeat the Philistines. It was because of our God. It was because of what He did. And so David's whole motivation in this thing was God's fame. David was motivated by God's honor and glory. That's our invitation as well. Think about it a minute. You know, David could have hiked up the battle to the battlefront, seen Goliath hear his taunts, and hiked back home. He could have just said, I'm out of here. Nobody would have said anything about him. Nobody would have labeled him a coward. They just saw him as a little boy bringing food to his brothers and to the rest of the army there. Wouldn't have been dishonorable. And yet, that's not what David did. Why? Because David was motivated by something far greater that compelled him to take action. What motivated him was that his giant, this giant was cursing his God. Amen. This giant's cursing my God. Amen. You're going to stop taunting my God right here and now. Because you're going down, David in essence says. You must go down so that God can be glorified. So that God can be lifted high. When we're dealing with our giants, God doesn't... Our, God does want us to be free. If there's something that's choking the breath out of your lives, then God wants that stronghold broken. He wants you delivered. Amen. Yet deliverance is more than just your freedom. God alone does the work to free us. But in setting us free, the aim is that much glory and honor be brought to our God. 
It's so that people around us look at our lives and they say, your God is truly God. Look at the transformed life. You know, I don't want people saying, look what a good guy Clayton is. I want them to say, look what a good God Clayton serves. Wow, look at his power in his life. Look at the things he's able to do. Look how he's transformed his life. While I was on my way up to see Dad uh, yesterday, I was driving along the way, and um, a buddy from uh, Louisiana called me. His whole adult life, he had lived in addiction. Alcohol and drugs. First time I ever set eyes on him, I saw him in prison. We reached out to him, loved him, pointed him to Jesus. He surrendered his heart and life to Jesus. He was calling me to tell me, he said, you know, Clayton, by the way, it's been now um, at least two and a half years since he's touched a drug or alcohol. And he's living for Jesus Christ. And he called me and he said, you know, I'm just called. He said, you're the first one I called. I had to let you know, you know, I, I, there have been several goals that I've had and they're all from God. When I, you know, when I got out of jail and started going through all the things that I was going through and, you know, and all that God's done. I mean, he came out basically had nothing. You know, and so he, a while back he got a vehicle. He got a job in one of the plants, really good job. He's built a tremendous reputation there, and it's all, and he gives God all the glory for it. He said, um, you know, today I'm moving into my own place. He'd been living with his aunt. You know, I'm moving into my own place, and all these blessings have come from God. And 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 brothers and sisters, people can look at Nathan today and they say, wow. What a powerful God. What an incredible God. All those giants that stood against Him, all of them have fallen down because of the power of God. You see, our freedom and God's glory are inextricably woven together. Jesus gave His life on the cross to set us free. He also gave His life on the cross to glorify His Father. And when we allow Him to set us free from our giants, the people around us will know that God is the one true God. You see, as long as our motivation remains only about getting freedom for ourselves, then we're missing what's most important. And we won't truly have the full power to change. As long as our giant enslaves us, we're telling people around us, my God's not big enough. You see? Mm. You see, for David, he couldn't manage. He couldn't handle that. No. This giant's not bigger than my God. Amen. This giant's got to come down. Because my God is being dishonored. And we've got to have that same attitude about those areas in our lives that are holding us back. You know, as long as others are looking and they're seeing those areas that are keeping me from being like Jesus and keeping me from being free, my God's being dishonored. Man. We need to rise up like David and say, no, you're not going to defame my God anymore. you got to come down. You giant, whatever giant that is, got to come down in the name of Jesus because my God has to be lifted high. My God has to be glorified. My God has to be lifted and glorified throughout all the world. Amen. People need to see my life and see the God that I serve. And 
lift him up and lift him high. And again, it doesn't matter what giant it is, because again, our God's bigger than any giant. One of the greatest concerns of modern Christianity is the tendency to make everything about us. We need, you know, we reduce Jesus to a self-improvement technique. You know, even when we go to church, we think about, well, you know, I got a lot out of that. Well, I'm glad you got a lot out of it, but that's not the most important thing. Was God glorified? Was God lifted high? Was God exalted? You see? God wants you to experience the fullness of everything He's accomplished for you. All of who He is. But we need to understand it's not about us. God does not exist for us. We exist for God. We are not His Maker. He is our Maker. And thus our life's central aim is to enjoy this great God and to glorify Him forever. To exalt Him. Isaiah talks about those whom God created for His glory. Isaiah chapter 43. We were created for the glory of God. You see, again, we think it's about us. I, there was a time when man thought the earth was the center of the universe. We now learn the sun is the center of the universe. There's a time in our lives where we thought everything was about us. And we everything centered around us. But we learn the sun, S-O-N, is the center. It's about His honor and His glory. If you have a giant that's standing over you, taunting you this morning, know your Jesus is bigger. Know that He can give you victory. He can help you to be an overcomer. Paul says that we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us and gave Himself for us. You see. I don't know what it means to be more than a winner. I like being a winner, but you know, more than a winner. That's what we are in Jesus. You see. And so any giant that's taunting you, you need to know you've fallen for one of the lies of Satan. You know, he's a liar. Everything he ever says is a lie. I tell people he speaks Lyonese. That's his language. That's his native tongue. And so everything he tells you is going to be a lie. Only Jesus will tell you the truth. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He doesn't just show us the way. He laid down His life as the way. And this as we walk His way and learn His truth and experience His life, then we experience it to the full. This morning, if you've not yet surrendered your heart and life to Christ Jesus, you need to know that He loved you enough to come and die for you. He loved you enough to come and give Himself so that you could have life. He took your place so you could take His place. Him who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He took upon Himself my sin 
so that I can take upon myself His righteousness. And so that I can stand before God even though I've sinned and am a sinner. I can stand before God righteous. I can stand before God pure and holy. That's what Jesus makes possible through His blood. But I've got to come to Him in faith. I've got to come to Him trusting and believing that what He did is what makes it possible for me to have a personal, intimate relationship with God. For me to try to have a relationship with God apart from Jesus on my own is for me to try to jump the Grand Canyon. I'm going to always fall short. Carl Lewis in his prime still going to fall short. Only Jesus builds a bridge in the form of a cross across that canyon, that canyon of sin that allows you and me to be brought back into a personal relationship with God. But we trust Him. And then we decide. We make a decision. I'm turning away from my old life. I've seen that when I've gone my own way, it's a dead end street. Every time down, I've gone down my own pathway, I've hit my head against a wall. And so that's called repentance. And repentance starts at the heart. It's a turning. A turning of the heart, but then a turning of a life. Turning in action. Begins with a godly sorrow, and then it shows itself, you know, through the evidence of action that says, "I don't want to go my way anymore. I want to make that 180 degree turn through your power and your strength, God. And I know you can help me to do it." And then we confess Christ as Lord, as Savior, as Son of the Son of God. That we believe that He is the one who makes it possible for us to have life. But more than just that He's the one that's able to make it possible, but now I'm going to trust whatever you say. That's what it means to say Jesus is Lord. It means you're going to be Master. Jesus one time said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things that I say? Or why do you call me Master and yet you're not my slave? And so I've got to listen and I've got to say, okay, Lord, it's your way. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Because when we did it our way, that led us to a big mess, didn't it? But now we decide with God, with your power and your strength, I'm going to listen to what you say and I'm going to do what you say. And then that decision is climaxed in the immersion, the baptism, where in essence we are reenacting what Jesus did. He died, He was buried, He was raised. That's what happens to me in baptism. I die to myself. I'm buried in a watery grave. I'm raised to walk in new life. I'm in essence saying to God, God, I believe the only thing that can make possible a relationship with You is what Jesus did. And I'm putting my full weight down on it. I am putting my trust in it. I am willing to reenact what You did for me to show to not only to myself, but to everybody that witnesses that I trust in You. That I'm giving my heart and my life to You. And that I am putting my full weight down on You. Maybe this morning, you're already a follower of Jesus. You've given your life to Him. And yet there's a giant that's still taunting you. Remember the words from James chapter 4? Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil. He will flee from you. Draw near to God. And He will draw near to you. You start getting closer to God. You start picking up His Word. You get down on your knees in prayer. You do those things that are going to draw you closer and closer to Him. And God will work in some amazing ways. And that giant will be like something in your rearview mirror as you get further and further away from it. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller because your God gets bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, there's a, there's a reason why our windshields 
are bigger than our rearview mirror. God doesn't want us looking back. He wants us looking forward. And so we keep trusting in Him. We keep putting our faith in Him. We keep walking with Him. This morning, if there's anything that we can help you with, anything Brother May or any of the other brothers and sisters here can be involved with in helping you in any way, we invite you to do it. We're going to sing a song, and we invite you to come. Our God is a great God. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let us 593. There's a fountain free.